Welcome to episode 89 of The Digital Life, a show about our adventures in the world of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Hey, John, what's new in the land of the digital life? Well, uh, I thought this week we could talk a little bit about uh, what's becoming an increasingly important trend in uh, you know, the overall uh, industry of the Internet of Things, which is smart cities, those um, cities that are outfitted with uh, uh, ways of collecting data, whether it's for their traffic or for municipal vehicles, uh, you know, perhaps you'd include security cameras and such in that, and all that data uh, made available to to improve, you know, hopefully the lives of urban residents, um, you know, and make make things run more smoothly. Uh, sort of looking at the city as this uh, living and, and breathing thing, like a like a quantified self, right? For the for the city, the smart city, and the, and the reason that's on my. Uh, my mind uh, today is because, boy, uh, Boston could sure use some help uh, coordinating all of the uh, all of the pieces of machinery for the snow removal here. Because, boy, do we have a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. So, God, it sounds good on paper, but uh, using Boston as the example, I mean, when is the last time that Boston has coordinated anything well and affordably and Properly, but I mean, the smart city sounds like a government boondoggle waiting to happen. No, well, there there's some some good examples of you know at least from the traffic patterns optimization side of things. So I know Los Angeles, for instance, has has uh, uh, put together a system to to uh, coordinate all its traffic lights during rush hour, which is, I guess, basically eternal over in, in L.A., and, uh, you know, saving people time and, you know, in, 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 in the case of autos, uh, saving, you know, fuel and, and emissions and, and uh, greenhouse gases and, and all of that, uh, you know, just by coordinating the uh, traffic signals a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, there's there's this need for it to be not just, you know, to your point, not just a government boondoggle, a government controlled aspects uh, where, you know, it's like Big Brother telling you where to go and what to do and and more of a public, private and even, you know, maybe academic institution collaboration uh, where where uh, all of these different stakeholders and parties can have input um, into these data sets and, and make something happen. But yeah, the, the, the cynic uh, in me would, would agree with you that, that wow, there's, uh, um, that's just a way uh, that we can spend a, a bunch more money outfitting uh, the city with sensors and then really not realize the return on investment that's promised. Yeah, and you know, when you say smart cities, I'm thinking about a system, right? So, so you know, once I I sort of jabbed at at the uh, um, inevitable government inefficiency, you know, you pointed out, well, hey, look, you know, there already are sensors that are um, tracking traffic patterns and are having having some good impact, and like, you know, amen, brother, right on. But um, the the promise, what's so tantalizing about the idea of a smart city, is some kind of central planning, is some kind of here are fifty interesting 
systems built on the internet of things that are coordinated and talking to each other and centrally controlled and the consequence of that is is sort of massive improvements to um to information that is being fed to citizens to improve their lives or to how operationally the city can optimize you know all of the different moving parts of the services that they provide um, to make them better and get to the next level. So, yeah, I mean, if, if smart city, and this is not an area of expertise for me. So when people are talking about smart city, maybe they are just talking about the granular of like, hey, here's a tool and this tool can do something neat. And yeah, you know, that's, that's going to happen. It is happening. And it's just, it's just going to be more, but the, the thing that would be great, but the thing that, you know, um, we suck at, uh, is using our, our sort of municipal government to create sort of a central plan that really does interesting things. Um, that's what I'd love to see, but uh, it seems like it'll be hard hard as hell to get to. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, I think it's, it's critical that, that we, you know, be able to figure out at least part of that puzzle because we've got these, you know, pressing problems of uh, energy consumption, for instance, of which, you know, cities are, are giant consumers of, of electricity, especially with, with office buildings, right? So there's just this, um, you know, using lots and lots of power, um, using lots and lots of resources, you know, water, uh, for instance, uh, 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 sewage uh, system, you know, another uh, example. And, you know, all of these things, better, better coordination, better use of these resources is going to be very important for, um, you know, our planet's survival. Uh, additionally, you know, the planet's having a little something to say about our use of resources in the, in in the form of uh, global warming, and you know Boston is is actually a, a leader in terms of doing some uh, uh, planning around resiliency for rising sea levels because of course Boston is is a port city, so um, even there you can see how um, having some level of um, uh, understanding of the of the data that in this case you know is coming from from the rising sea levels is going to be critical for people to be able be able to even live uh, in port cities you know in the future so it may not be something that has immediately greater returns than you know perhaps some optimized traffic patterns or uh, perhaps better deployment of municipal services like snow removal, right? But mm -hmm. in the long term, when we're dealing with, uh, you know, these big uh, problems like uh, large amounts of energy consumption from our buildings and rising sea levels, I, th I think it's, it's essential that, that we get much, much smarter about um, the kinds of things that are, that are going on within our cities. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, I mean, how do you see it happening? So you mentioned earlier, you know, getting academics involved. But I mean, from my perspective, that's the blind leading the blind. If you talk about bureaucratic efficiency, government and academia, um, that's, that's, that's not a recipe for success. So how does this, I don't know, I mean, to you, how does this happen? Yeah, I, so, so I was just riffing on that because I saw that my alma mater, uh, Boston University, is um, putting together a public-private consortium um, or had received a, a, um, uh, some funding to do that to sort of up-level some of their initial experiments with things like, you know, data tracking for traffic patterns and things like that so so that 
that reference was just a uh, uh, might have been kind of a uh, a selfish reminder of of my alma mater. In terms of this this happening, I think you know part of you know part of this is is definitely going to have to come from uh, the the municipal uh, and city planning services uh, for sure. Probably is going to be done in coordination with uh, you know some some very large companies like. Uh, you know, Cisco or or IBM is is big into uh, into smart cities, and and my guess is, if you're familiar with um, the Big Dig project, which was a you know a decade long uh, construction project to do an under you know the uh, uh, the underwater tunnel here to uh, to the airport, basically, um, it just took uh, you know a lot of money. <laughs> And unfortunately, uh, that's really not the sort of lean, agile way to do it, you know, the way we would think, uh, you know, like a software development or even a software and hardware development um, project should go. Um, but nonetheless, I think it's going to require some, some pretty big players in order to outfit, um, you know, a city, you know, a small one like Boston or, you know, much bigger ones. Yeah, so you mentioned the expense of the big dig, and that was hugely over budget, right? I mean, I think by two or three x, right? Not just ten percent, but some some gigantic amount. That I, I I may be overstating it or understating it. I'm not sure, but it's huge. So w- when you're dealing with governments doing these big projects, you have those money issues. But I think more critically, you have time issues. And what I mean by that is, luckily for the city of Boston, tunnel technology advances at a glacial pace. So if you start a tunnel in 1990-whatever and finish it in 2000-whatever, you know, it's still going to be acceptable. It's still going to be appropriate. If you have some big, you know, smart city project and it takes you a decade to roll it out, the technology is going to have changed three or four or five or more times over over the, the, that time. You're, you're already going to be outdated. So the, the typical slow bureaucratic governmental processes of getting things done will, will almost certainly doom these projects to be these really odd situations where you have cities that invest in all of this infrastructure and then it's, it's already gone. It's already, it's already outdated. Um, I mean, another issue too is, um, you know, equity from the standpoint that you have cities like Detroit that are broke and bankrupt. I mean, there's no way in hell that they're going to have a digital city going on. Whereas someplace like San Francisco will be, you know, the first or among the first to do it. And there's already a huge divide between the opportunities of the people in Detroit to the opportunities uh, of to the people in San Francisco. And that's only going to be magnified um, as the digital divide is brought into the very, the, the, the very sort of infrastructural fabric of the communities that, that we live in. So it's really exciting, but it's also, it's a little scary for the, the, the municipalities that are are not very wealthy. Yeah, you, tying it to you know infrastructure like your 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 roads, your bridges, um, you know the the electric power grid. Um, that's that's probably the way to think about it because you know as as you pointed out these these are going to be 
so important to the way a city is um, is managed in the future. And and it's interesting that you contrasted Detroit with with San Francisco. There's there's no doubt that. Um, you know that Detroit's going to going to suffer for you know lack of that digital infrastructure. Interesting, interestingly enough, um, what Detroit does have is an awful lot of of abandoned buildings and and real estate, um, which I know they've been doing in in creative ways. Um, uh, you know, um, uh, using those assets in creative ways to do um, urban farming, for instance. So we'll definitely have to circle back um, to, uh, you know, this discussion about, you know, cities, generally speaking. But from, from a smart, uh, smart cities standpoint, uh, I, I think you're right. There's probably, it's probably going to increase this, this digital divide. And with with the city being sort of the focal point for so many industries now, like you think of Boston, you think of health, you think of San Francisco, you think of, uh, you know, the tech industry, um, New York, you think of finance. I mean, these these are the magnets for these industries. So uh, it, it makes it all that much more important that that the cities be, uh, you know, functioning at a high level and able to, you know, attract people uh, to come in and be part of them. Ultimately, smart cities are going to be uh, incredible for the people uh, and the places that can implement them and will probably make it uh, even more difficult for the ones who cannot. Uh, Amen, brother. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening, or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter, at John Follett, that's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at DNemeyer, that's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. Email me, Dirk, at GoInvo.com, and I guess that's it. (laughs) Yeah, that's it for episode 89 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time.